Hi, I'm Nikki, your host of Kept Secrets. Thanks for listening. I'm excited to get started on episode one. I'm going to be talking about some days being better than others, and you'll understand once I get into this a little bit more. Um, this is a blog entry that I made about 10, about 10, a little over 10 years ago. So at that time, I um, had been through treatment for sexual childhood, childhood sexual abuse, CSA. Um, I was working with a therapist who I met when I was 16. Um, I'm 43 now, so it was a long time um, that we started. We were working together many years ago. Um, there was a little break in our work. And then as I got into my twenties, things just really blew up in my mind, like the PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I was just really struggling trying to find my way and understand the thoughts that I had going through my head. So in 2012, um, I started a blog. It's called Red Flags and Secrets, Red Flags and Secrets, and it's at wordpress.com. So I'm not sure if that's something that you might be interested in checking out, but the first few episodes will be about some of the entries um, that I put on that blog. The first one is called Some Days Are Better Than Others. And I've changed some of the names of the people in my life that um, I, I just wanted to protect them as best I could. It sounds really weird. Uh, my abuser's name was changed. Uh, friends at the time, their names were changed. And I, in the blog, I went by the name Abby, Abigail. So if I slip and I say, Abby, it's really talking about me. I really wrestled with the thought of not using my real name, but I feel like you know, this is my story to tell. So if somebody has an issue with that, they can come to me. Um, I waited a really, really long time to be able to do something um, that I felt might make a difference in someone else's life. Um, and by make a difference, I mean, if, if I can help you work through um, an episode of PTSD flashbacks, um, if I can help you understand maybe dreams that you're having about something that happened to you or people that hurt you. Um, I'm all about that. Um, a little bit of background on me. Um, I'm 43. I think I said that earlier. And about 10 years ago, um, I was in my second year of grad school. Um, I was in college going for social work, mental health and addiction. I wanted to be a clinical psychologist or a clinical social worker working with clinical psychologists. Um, I wanted to specialize in childhood sexual abuse and the long-term side effects of that. And I was in my second year of grad school of a three-year program. My mother got sick um, and things just kind of stopped for me. So I didn't, I didn't end up finishing because my mother passed away. And after she passed away, everything that I thought I had going in my life, grad school, a career, I felt like I was on a path. Um, I, I will talk about God sometimes in my life. And um, I just want people to understand how important that relationship was for me at the time. 
Um, not that it's not important now. I'm just saying my relationship with God really developed um, around, I don't know, like 2002 and so on. But it really hit home about 2007, 2008. So anyway, going back to my story. So um, I was in graduate school and I was on a good path and my mom passed away and I completely lost interest in everything. I lost interest in my job. I was um, like an invoicing clerk for a small company downtown. Um, So I drove about an hour to get to work every day. Didn't really make a lot of money, um, but it was close to school. So I could go to work and then go to my grad school classes. and, And then I could come home and you know, I lived alone after mom passed away. The same week that she passed away, um, I moved into a small house in the country. And any other time, I think I would have loved it. But at that time, I just isolated myself. And in this blog, um, it talks about some days are better than others. I just want you to know that being anxious, feeling sad, all of these things are legit feelings that you have when you've been traumatized. Heck, they're legit feelings when you haven't been traumatized. You know, um, somebody could say something to you and you're like, what the hell? Why did you say that? It hurt my feelings and it stuck with me. And then the next time, let's say somebody said that you were, you didn't look good in purple. You look like Grimace. I actually had somebody say that to me about me one time. But so now I'm very cautious when I wear purple, I'm like, does, does this make me look like Grimace from McDonald's? Like, <laughs> you know, I, I'm very self-conscious about things. And I, I try really hard to work past that stuff. But once it's said, it is, it is really hard to unsay something, you know, um, and how it hurts people. So um, when I was living in this, I call it the little love shack. It was a little one-bedroom home that um, was next to one of my friend's. Um, They had built it for her grandmother, and after her grandmother passed away, she was able to rent it to close people, or, you know, I mean, it was, it was barely anything, and it was so helpful for me when I was in graduate school. I mean, I was working and in class and doing internships and projects and papers, and I was busy all the time, and I didn't really have a lot of time to work and make money to pay, you know, an expensive rent payment. And I'm so grateful to my friend for um, offering that to me at the time that she did. Now, going back to my relationship with my mother, um, one thing that people had a hard time understanding about me and my relationship with her is when she was ill, she had kidney disease and heart disease caused by diabetes. Um, she didn't take very good care of herself because we were poor and she just really didn't make herself a priority in life. Going to the doctor, getting medications, taking care of herself was just not something she did. Um, so as she got older in her late forties and all of her fifties up until 58, um, she was really sick. Um, she had multiple heart attacks. She had, um, She was on kidney dialysis for nine years. She would go three days a week for five to six hours a day. And that became her life for nine years. 
and she was she was just pushing through it. She wasn't going to give up. Well, something happened to her, and uh, she was in the hospital getting some kind of physical therapy uh, for muscles that had weakened um, while she was in the hospital for something else. So she was there getting some treatment, and while she was up one night, she started getting sick. They did some testing, found out that her stomach had flipped, something that I've never really heard of, but um, with her physical condition with her heart she was on blood thinners the doctor said that surgery would literally not be an option because she her body wouldn't handle it I mean she would most likely not make it through surgery so they put her on hospice that was really hard for me because you know up until that point I think I was 30 36 33 when she passed away so, um, it was really hard to think about what life would be without her. And going through this podcast, you'll understand the complicated relationship that I had with my mother and my father, but mostly my mom. Uh, it was just complicated. That's all I can say. But when I found out she was basically destined to die, we didn't know if it was going to be one day. We didn't know if it was going to be six months. They couldn't give her a time. Um, All I know is she was on hospice for 21 days. And for 21 days, with the exception of one day, when I moved, I was with her. I couldn't bear the thought of her being there alone. Um, I couldn't bear the thought of nurses not making her their top priority because she was my mom. And I felt like, you know, she's in your facility, you know, obviously that can't, that can't happen all the time. But I knew that no other person would give her the attention that she needed, the dignity and the respect that she needed in her final days. So, um, I was with her and my, I have a younger brother. We will call him Jake. Um, he's four years younger than me. He was my mother's pride and joy. And I don't know if you heard my eye roll, but it's there. Um, she babied him so much. He, he sees it differently, of course. But I was the older sibling, and he got away with a lot of stuff that I didn't get away with. Um, and I'll go into that stuff later. But back to the blog. Um, I won't want to keep this too long. Um, as far as time for you, I know everybody, everybody is busy. So I'm going to read this and kind of ad lib a little bit as I'm going through it and see, um, if I'm able to help you with something that you have going on. So some days are better than others. July 10th, 2012. Everyone knows that some days are a lot better than others, right? Well, today I'm feeling a little bit out of sorts. It seems. I feel anxious yet sad and very, very much alone in the world. I have recently been reading a fantastic book, but sadly, it brings my thoughts back to Tom. I hate that I can't get Tom out of my head. I try, but sometimes the thoughts are so powerful that I can't help but think about him. It is a sick and twisted thing for me to feel the deep attachment that I do for my former abuser. He was an evil, manipulative man. Yet I can't stop thinking about 
I can't stop thinking that he has this massive amount of control over me still. I haven't even begun to scratch the surface on the stuff that Tom did to me and how he still affects me today. I will try to spare you the gory details of the sexual abuse, but I feel I need to explain the mental abuse in a little more detail. I think about the time when Tom left my life. I was 15 and I felt like I could breathe once again when I realized he was gone for good. I didn't have to worry about the 3 a.m. wake up calls to do things I didn't want to do with him. I didn't have to worry about him always watching me, making me feel like I have no control over my own life. I think it took many years for this attachment to really surface. One thing Beth used to try to get me to change is the way that I always associate things with Tom. Okay, so I'm going to step away from this for a second. So Tom was my mother's husband, her fourth husband. And he lived with us from the time I was about nine years old until I was 15. Um, I had just turned 15. He um, married my mother. When listen, The abuse started when I was in fourth grade. It was the summer before fourth grade. I was nine. And it ended right at the beginning of summer after my freshman year in high school. So all through what they call now in our area middle school, which would have been, well, it was fourth, fifth, and sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth. So six years of abuse. Um, Tom was 16 years older than me. He was 10 years younger than my mom. It's so, so complicated. I just want you to understand that the abuse was in court um, many years after everything happened. Um, we and I did end up going to court. Charges were filed. Um, and in that time, he only served four years in jail, in prison. So he didn't even get one year for every year of the abuse that he put me through. Now, I'm not taking the stance that, oh, pity, pity me, I was the only one that he abused. No, not even close. He was abusive to my mother. He, and I I never saw him physically hit her, but um, there was a lot of verbal abuse. He made her feel about maybe an inch tall half of the time. He was horrible for her confidence. Um, He's... He cheated on her so many times, um, and she had no idea. Or if she did, I don't know. I don't know. But um, he was abusive to my brother physically. Um, I don't know if there was any other abuse as far as sexual abuse. I don't know. Um, there's just a lot that I want to tell you guys because I really want you to understand how deep this is. So... When I was 15 and Tom left, um, Beth, I'm using her real name because she is so badass. Um, Beth, I met her when I was 16. Um, When we first started going through the court process, um, the court appointed, you know, DCS gave me her name and a phone number. I made an appointment. Uh, My mom and dad went with me the first time that I met with her. And then after that, it was just me. 
it, I was 16 people. <laughs> I was 16 and I had to find a way to get to my therapy sessions. I had to um, beg my father to borrow his car while he was at work so that I could get to these sessions because they were so interesting. You know, I wanted somebody to believe me and to hear everything that I had to say. And Beth did that. She was right there with me in the muck of all of this. Um, So I met her when I was 16 and I worked with her for a couple of years until DCS decided that it was no longer in in the cards for me to um, have paid treatment. So I was maybe 17 when that happened and I felt so scared and abandoned. I mean, and this wasn't even something that she did, but I felt abandoned because I was like, who am I going to tell my story to? And who's going to help me? I'm sorry if you hear my dog. I have a puppy and a 14 year old lab and they sometimes like to argue in the evening. Archie gets the zoomies and Belle's just like, stop. Anyway, I digress. So Beth, um, when I was in my 20s, I ended up going back to her because I just got tired of repeating my story to everyone else. The different therapies that I tried to go, or the therapists I tried to go to, nobody understood. Beth was there from the very beginning, and I didn't want to share it with anyone else. I just wanted to work with her. So um, at that time, I was making $10 an hour. Not that that's bad, but I'm just letting you know, my sessions were $130 a week and I made $10 an hour. And I paid for that out of my own pocket because I knew if I didn't, I I just knew that my life was going to fall apart. And I was, I just, I wanted to see the other side of this. And so um, when I refer to Beth, she was, she was my person back then. You know, I saw her every Monday at 1230 sharp and every Monday I had homework and I worked on it until the next Monday. And, and this was me in my twenties. So this was after all of the court stuff happened and, and the stepdad went to jail and, and was released and, and back into the, to the world. So, um, anyway, so one thing that I'm going to go back to my, my blog. One thing that Beth used to try to get me to change is the way that I associated things with Tom. For example, I was walking into her office for a session one day and came apart emotionally because I saw an old cigarette wrapper on the ground of her, outside of her office. It was the same kind of cigarettes he used to smoke. I instantly thought of him. I was literally walking into her office and saw this and had a meltdown in her office. It was... Um, It was the same kind of cigarettes that he used to smoke. I instantly thought of him. Most people would just walk past the piece of trash on the ground and it would not have caused an emotional breakdown like I did or not that they wouldn't have an emotional breakdown like I did. I walked into her office and I explained to her what I had just seen. She firmly looked at me and said, Nikki, you have to stop that. You have to stop associating everything back to Tom. It's not healthy. I looked at the ground and my stomach was in knots. Did he ever think of me when he saw something? I know in my heart he has pretty much forgotten about me. I wish I was that lucky to have been able to forget about him. There are a lot of things I associate with him even today. 
Just last fall, I went to see Twilight, The Breaking Dawn, Part 1. <laughs> During a scene in the film, I thought of Tom. It's usually where there's some kind of male over female protection going on. In this instance, there was a scene in the film when Edward was protecting Bella from Jake. He was an animal-like in the way that he was animal-like in the way that he protected her. Edward lunged at Jake in an attacking way, and I thought in that moment of how Tom used to make me feel protected. In reality, he was just controlling. Control. Control is a bad thing for most of, for me most of the time. I hate losing control of my thoughts when it comes to Tom. I hate that he has so or that he was so so evil toward me yet so gentle and loving. I want to wipe my mental slate clean and move forward with clean normal everyday thoughts, but I can't. It is a mental battle I partake in every single day. When I feel lonely, I think of Tom and I wish that he would come looking for me. Why? I have no freaking idea. I would be sick to my stomach if I saw him today. But my mind tricks me into believing that this quote-unquote love, that his love, quote-unquote, was for me. And it was very true. The mind can also be an evil, evil thing. And so can the heart. So yesterday, my cousin loaned me this delicious new and very popular with the ladies book. Sidebar, Fifty Shades of Grey. Holy crap. I've heard so much about it that I actually wanted to read it, and I hate reading. Yesterday, I read this book for more than seven hours. I couldn't stop. It was so twisted and familiar to me in many, many ways. The main character is this rich and powerful and uber hot young man who is a very dark and who has a very dark and twisted sexual desire. The girl in the book is also young and a virgin when she meets the guy. Sounds a little like the Twilight books, doesn't it? Well, the sexual scenes are intense and hot in the book, unlike the Twilight books. (laughs) I haven't read them, so I can't say for sure. So I automatically put myself in the place of this girl. She was young, obviously not as young as I was when the abuse started, but I think you get the picture. She was attracted to this man so much that he was on her mind all the time, like an obsession. He finally wins her trust enough to have his way with her. He instructs her what to do because she has never done it before. This is where my mind goes back to being a young girl. And I'm being taught things I should have never learned until I was married. Old school married. I wanted to be a virgin when I got married, but... Thanks to this Mr. Tom guy, that did not happen. So, a, a friend told me today that, I'm, that maybe I shouldn't read the book because it's so close to home for me and it might jolt me into some PTSD moments or two, a moment or two. I'll be honest, I can't stop reading the damn thing. It's so familiar, yet not. I find that I insert different people into the male character role. My current boyfriend and I have been together for over 10 months but have a very deep history. Sidebar, you'll know about that history as we go forward. And I have enormous attraction to him, that he is usually the person I insert in the male role. But sometimes Tom creeps in there, and I usually, and I, and I can't make him go away. It's the controlling relationship I grew to know and understand as a young woman. A glance across the room indicated to me that he wanted to be with me. Gross face. His touch on my leg while we were sitting in the car, a hidden area in a room that he hid 
when I passed by, he would reach for me and pull me in for a secret kiss. My learning was manipulated so badly that sometimes I can't keep my reality and my past separate. I don't love Tom. I don't even like him. I do, however, love the man that I'm with now, and I would do anything for him. I try to talk to, talk to him about my feelings and the past conditions I was taught. He tries so hard to understand, but I don't think anyone can. I keep hearing my mother telling me before she passed away not to smother, and this was a quote, not to smother this man that I'm with now. She used to tell me all the time that I was smothering. I want so much attention that no one can ever give me enough. I don't think that that's fully true. I wanted her attention as a child, and she rarely gave it to me. The one person who did give me attention was Tom. Even though it was a negative and dark attention, it was still much desired attention. Each relationship I've had with men, with a man, has been a struggle for me. I have always felt like I deserve to be the center of someone's world. Think about that. Do you feel that you wish that you could be the center of someone's world at some point in your life? If, if you're not now, you deserve to be. I'm just going to say that. It's like I have this pent-up need to be wanted, needed, and desired by someone who I overtake their minds. Weird, I know. Then I hear Nikki, my inner child, chiming in. And this is a quote. I just want to be loved by someone, anyone, unquote. It's so sad to hear her brokenness. She's so young and feels so unwanted. It's intensity, or the intensity that Tom showed her was so wrong and she wants that again. But how can she have it when it wasn't even real? It was abuse. Do you see where the struggle in my own thoughts would be? I know the difference between right and wrong. But for some reason, the Tom situation confuses me. I once wrote a paper for college on the learning theory being manipulated by a childhood sexual abuse. Writing that paper was helpful for me because it allowed me to work through what should have happened in my childhood and what really happened. I was able to see the clear flaws and issues that, that caused my thinking to be different from others my own age. As a child, we learn how to do things by modeling our parents' behavior. In my case, I was learning how to have sex and how to lie and protect the evil. I know today will come and go and the thoughts of Tom will go back under the surface for a while. I just want the thoughts to vanish like the abuse never happened. I don't want to smother anyone who is in my life, friends, my boyfriend or husband. I'm trying to figure out how to control that part of my mind. It's very difficult. It makes me feel somewhat impulsive at times, even though I would never act upon the physical impulses. They're still there and very, very strong. I feel like I would never act or I feel like I could go back to the comfort zone of being under someone else's control. Then I wouldn't have to think for myself and wrestle with all the demons I wrestle with every day. I like to say, <laughs> I'd like to say to the demons, peace out, bitches, maybe someday. So that was um, a very long post, um, a journal or a blog that I had. And it kind of gives you a little bit of perspective. Um, we talked about, or I talked about, um, the learning theory 
and how I modeled this wicked behavior from my stepfather. Um, my mother's absence at the time, she was there. She was just mentally absent. Um, and then it talks about my inner child. We're going to talk a lot in the perspective of my inner child because, excuse me, the inner child is once you make that relationship or you find that relationship, it is life changing. When I first started working with her, and I talk about her in the third person a lot because she really, I have to separate her. And that was one of the most powerful things in therapy was sitting in Beth's office and she had me visualize a child that I knew, which I was in my 20s and I I didn't really have a lot of friends who had kids at the time who were in this age range. Um, But about four or five years old, she wanted me to visualize this child and she's like, you know that this little girl is being abused. I'm like, yeah, and that's really crappy. Like, I don't even want to think about it. And she's like, would you blame her? And I sat there and I was like, of course not. And she's like, then why do you blame yourself? Think about it. Do you blame yourself for the abuse that happened to you? Or the one situation that made or broke you? I mean, it it could have been a touch from a grandfather or an uncle or a friend of the family or a coworker even. It was an unwanted touch and they violated you. And that is not okay. So a lot of times when people are in a situation where something is happening to them. Um, They tend to find a way to blame themselves. So Dr. Phil, I love Dr. Phil. (laughs) I haven't watched him for a few years, but man, I used to watch him a lot. Pretty much every day it was part of my evening routine. I would record it and I'd watch it. And he said one time, actually a few times, he said that children have a way of making things their fault. And it's so true. Like the abuse that I went through with Tom, it was, it took me so long to stop feeling sorry for that butthead and to stop. I know that's juvenile to call him a butthead, but I, I have a very, very bad mouth and I don't want to subject you to that. So, um, if I use weird terms, forgive me, but it, I felt bad for him for so long. And in that meeting, I remember looking at this picture that she had on her wall and it was like, I got hit in the head with a ton of bricks. It was like, damn, this whole time I'm blaming myself for something that this asshole did to me. No, it is all him. He's the one that made the choice. And oh man, that's when the real healing started. Because then I had to picture myself as a four or five-year-old. So I went and got a picture of myself at that time. Now, there weren't very many pictures because my mother never really made it 
something, I mean, we just never had a lot of photos of the family. I have no family photos of my brother and my mother and I, none. Um, so I found a photo that my dad and stepmother had me, they had, it was like a candid photo of me and I carried that around and I tried to build this relationship with her. It was, it was so neat but so, it made me feel so weird. You know, so Beth would tell me that uh, she wanted me to have dialogue with her. And I was like, what are you talking about? Dialogue with who? And she's like, with Nikki, the little child. And I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I had a little bit of fun with it. <clears throat> but once I made that connection and I saw this, chunky, blonde-haired, gray-eyed little girl with a little pug nose. Um, she just wanted to be loved. And she just wanted her mother's attention. She wanted to be like all the other kids. She wanted, she, somebody always made fun of her for being overweight. And to this day, I struggle with weight. Um, that's something else we'll talk about later, hopefully. Um, but that relationship with her, it changed everything for me. Because I was able to see the child in my own perspective. And I wanted to protect her. And I wanted to love her and nurture her and show her that these people who hurt her, that's not okay. And that she could trust me and that she could, she could tell me anything. And goodness gracious, she did. Um, in future podcasts, we'll talk about um, things that she felt uh, and it gets really down to the nitty gritty. And um, if you have ever worked on the inner child, it's so great. I know I've said that a few times now, but that is the one thing that changed my life. And my relationship with my friends, I have a really good group of friends, unfortunately, the woman who took me under her wing when I was 20, her name was Janet. She was so wonderful. She kind of scooped me up from my broken self and she taught me so many things that God loves me and um, she just taught me how to be a woman of God and I struggle with my language, yes, but I still, I still think about um, things that she taught me, how to be a wife, um, you know, just how to be a loving friend and a, and a loyal friend. And um, anyway, Janet, unfortunately, caught COVID in January and she passed away in February and 
Although it is a huge loss for my heart, I know in my beliefs, I know where she is. And, and my, you know, I'm not here to, to preach to anyone or anything, but I'm not mad at her. You know, she's right where she wanted to be her entire life. And, um, you know, I do miss her every day. I miss being able to call her. Um, Janet just stepped into the mother role for me in a way that it actually made my own mother jealous. And it wasn't meant to be that way. Um, I, I Once I realized that mom was a little bit jealous, I kind of stopped talking about the relationship that I had with Janet because I didn't want to hurt my mom, you know. But I was angry with her, my mother, because of some of the stuff. And I don't want to keep rambling about everything right now. Um, but I just want you to know that I there are ways to get through this. Um, someone violated you. It's okay to acknowledge it. We're not going to be able to change that person. They're wired differently mentally. They don't have boundaries. They don't, um, maybe they were abused, but it's still not an excuse to hurt someone else. That was one of the things that um, I felt bad for with Tom. And I was like, oh, he was abused as a kid too. Well, as an adult, I don't give a shit that you were abused because that's on you for what you did. You know, you didn't get the treatment that you needed and you continued that cycle. And I broke that cycle and I'm happy about that. Um, I have two wonderful stepsons that I absolutely adore. And, you know, I have a niece and a nephew that I absolutely love and I have fun with them. And, you know, it's, I don't have children of my own. And um, my doctor told me years ago that it probably wouldn't happen. And I'm not saying, and she didn't say that it was due to the acts of any certain person, but there was a lot of trauma to my body as a child. And so children were 96% not an option. I wouldn't be able to carry a child full term. I wouldn't, it would never, it just wouldn't happen. And so it took me a long time to come to the, you know, just to understand that it's okay. It's okay that I don't get to have a child of my own. It's okay. I can love every other child that I'm around. I can be their soft place to fall, you know, if, if they need someone to talk to or cry to or, or whatever, I could be there for them. And it's okay. And I'm here, you know, I'm, I want to help you. Um, so I'm sorry if I ramble. I will try to keep keep that under control um, going forward. But there's so many things that I want to tell you guys. I just need to um, reel it in a little bit. And each episode, I'll share a little bit more. And we'll go with that. So I'm going to wrap things up this time. Uh, I appreciate if you are still listening at 39 minutes and 35 six seconds into the podcast. I am so grateful for you. And I hope 
that you will listen to my next podcast as well. And if you, you know, you can send me messages. Um, I don't know how that'll work yet, but I will figure it out. And if there's specific topics that you want me to cover, um, I am by no means a psychologist. I am not a doctor. I am, you know, I am going based on my own personal experience. So please don't, (laughs) don't get me in trouble. And, and there may be trigger warnings later. Um, I will try really hard to notify you before the topic is discussed. Um, so that is going to wrap up my first episode and I'm so sorry for rambling again. Um, I hope that you guys come back for episode two and I hope that in some way this helped because together I think that we could kick trauma's butt.